Gems of Youth Work, sharing precious practices. Hello, and welcome to Gems of Youth Work, a series of podcasts bringing you ideas from all around Europe. Today's guest is Zbyszek Janczukowicz from Poland. Zbyszek is a teacher of philosophy and ethics by education, NGO manager and accountant by profession, game designer and permaculture gardener by passion. He's the founder of Nausicaa Educational Foundation and works a lot with incorporating live action role-playing games into youth work and education fields. Let's listen to some exciting stories all the way from Poland. Let's uh, kick off with you introducing yourself a bit and your relation to youth work. Uh, so my name is Zbyszek, Zbyszek Janczukowicz, and I'm uh, working in a little NGO in Krakow, Poland, um, which was established uh, to uh, do educational games and educational tools in general. And our relation to youth work is that uh, the things that we love also are loved by the young people. So, 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 so they automatically fall into the youth work category. And because we are doing a lot of games, uh, young people tend to be around us, ask for different things, organize events. So uh, that's, uh, we started because we made games and now we got, uh, we got connected with a lot of youth in Krakow. So games brought you and young people naturally together. Yes, it's it somehow uh, people associate uh, games with, with youth somehow. Since it's an audio podcast, people will not see you. And I want to ask you, how would you like listeners to imagine you as they hear your voice and as they listen to this podcast? Uh, so there is a 33 years old uh, guy sitting here in Poland who is spending definitely too much time at the computers and too little time outdoors. <laughs> but is uh, al always smiling and loves to talk to people online and offline whenever he has a chance. How did your journey in youth work start? I was invited uh, by friends uh, to a youth exchange uh, as a kind of participant or a helper. And uh, just because we played a LARP before. And they said, okay, we, 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 we like playing with each other so much that maybe we do something together. So actually I was for the first time in my life on a youth exchange already uh, when I was around 30. Uh, and then I saw that this framework can actually do so much good the, that I want to be in. So soon after, I actually established my NGO and uh, we are doing this. How is it to be a young person in Krakow? I guess it's pretty good. Uh, the, the city is full uh, of opportunities. Young people are very active. Uh, like I'm a friend and collaborator of the local branch of Fridays for Future. You know, that older guy who comes with the youngsters to, to the manifest on the streets. And uh, what I mean to say is that when they do uh, an event, 3,000 people come. And when we do an, a multiplier event for some uh, NGO project, we are happy if we have 30. So, so, so that's actually we can learn from, from the youth. It's not that we are teaching youth. 
know the case. We invited you for Gems of Youth Work to talk exactly about your passion of doing LARPs and using LARPs for education and incorporating them in international and local projects nowadays. First things first, what is a LARP? How would you explain that? Okay, so from the start, LARP is an acronym that stands from Life Action Role Playing. It is a game uh, in which the players uh, take on uh, fictional roles and interact with each other in, inside the fictional reality, inside the story of the game. Uh, and that's a very broad definition, but LARP is very diverse. Like it, uh, a LARP game can be one hour long and for three players, or it can be three days long for 300 players. So we you have all the diversity and this fictional world can be very similar to our Krakow in 2022, or it can be medieval fantasy Viking Game of Thrones, something, whatever sci-fi, whatever you like. And also these characters, that people are fictional characters that players are playing, uh, can be prepared uh, in a detailed way, or can be just improvised from a scratch or created uh, during the pre-game workshops. So it's a very broad, LARP is a very broad uh, phenomena. This acronym LARP is actually used by uh, by the fandom uh, as well. So, 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 so LARPers use the word LARP to different, differentiate their, uh, themselves from others. But in my opinion, it's actually similar to other creative stuff games that we do. For example, Impro Theater. Uh, it's got a lot uh, in common that you you know you you hear the start of the story and you have to continue and improvise with the story on the run with drama therapy or with, with drama plays uh, or with RPG with talking tabletop games or whatever storytelling games like a simple mafia or werewolf werewolf game is already a first step into LARPing. So I'm actually doing this uh, you know using the word LARP because uh, it's actually people like it. The players like to say that they are playing a LARP, but I could actually uh, exchange it for a, a narrative game or theater, the, theatrical game, whatever. What we do with LARP is that we are organizing rather open events, which are not uh, targeted to LARPers only and so like to a closed group, uh, but they are open events uh, to which we are trying to invite young people, uh, different people who have never played a LARP before. So, so we, we focus on the common things with other games, not about what's so specific about LARP. The LARPing community and LARPs at first can seem that something is quite closed and there is this difficult entry level because you need to know different universes. You need to understand, I don't know, uh, different different stories or read some of the books that are there. So involving the the common people or kind of making this entry level is, is an interesting approach. And you've been LARPing for the last six years or so. Do you remember what was your first LARP game? Oh, I can I cannot forget it. Uh, I was uh, somebody invited me to Sweden. Uh, me and Patricia, with whom I'm running the Nausicaa Foundation, and they saw that we will play a game in the forest. And I went for it because I like forest. Uh, <laughs> um, 
it appeared that it was a LARP, a three-day-long LARP for more than 100 people. Uh, part of it was an Erasmus Plus youth exchange, and I knew very little about Erasmus Plus program back then. And uh, we played uh, some important roles, uh, so-called NPCs, non-playable character roles, to create some plots and actions and quests for the other players who were helping the organizers. And I was totally impressed by it, how, uh, how 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 it triggers the switches on the imagination. We were actually for for, for a few days inside a fantasy story somewhere in the in the woods in Sweden, and I had no idea what I'm you know signing up for back then. But since then, since six years, we are still uh, co-organizing uh, the Gimle LARP. It is called the Gimle, and it happens in Hastekassen Farm Association, which is close to Göteborg in Sweden. And uh, this is going uh, growing bigger. Uh, there are more players every year. There are different projects uh, connected to it. Uh, now, uh, now there is actually a strategic partnership that uh, aims to develop and rebuild the whole LARP. So we create a web page full of stories, and actually there are like hundreds of stories gathered through the through the six years of LARPing. And uh, the people who came as players let's say for the first time four years ago, are now part of the organizers and the lore masters who are explaining what happened before to the others and the process of it, how it gathers community of like 400 people who have been there, uh, who are very active on the groups and you know still sharing photos and adding new ideas to, to all of that. It also, it's also run uh, on a permaculture farm is quite big, like 12 hectares and connected just to the forest, uh, where they built uh, the fantasy houses, like tree houses, hobbit houses, uh, because they live there. And that's what they do when they do not organize LARPs, they build the structures that can be used for the LARP. So, so both the community, the permaculture farm community is benefiting the, the LARP because the, the, the place is great for games, but also the games bring some new people energy and also finances to the, to the eco community. So, 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 so the impact is not only about playing a game. Uh, I know people who came to play a LARP and later decided to stay. And for example, live there for two years. Why would you say LARP is a good tool for education, for learning? Because uh, we can use it to shift attitudes, not only to pass information. Um, because uh, LARP, if you play a LARP, you need to get involved into the story uh, and interact with other characters. And because it's fictional characters, actually these interactions can be stronger. Uh, people can play some, you know, friendship or love affairs. People can play in competition who will become the king of a tribe or something. And uh, they can do actions uh, that are not allowed like in real persons in the society. It's of course managed within the safe borders of the game with safety mechanics and so on. But because of that, the emotions are actual, can be actually stronger that if somebody went for a training course of youth exchange, when you know, you're not, not playing any fictional story, but you know, interacting as Miss Bishop from Poland. So, so, so it, it opens up emotions 
And as we do this also within this uh, experience-based learning methodology or by the Kolb cycle, uh, we know that after experiencing emotions, people tend to memorize uh, things better uh, and also are more open to shifts. When we do that, a, a discussion called debriefing after the LARP, uh, we can actually, you know, change and the, 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 the ways people, the players perceive the world or interact with the others as players, not as characters after the game is finished. So I think this emotional impact is opening a crack in which you, you have like a player or a participant uh, open for change. And, and then if you do the proper debriefing, you can actually change people. So there is a transformative aspect to it. Yeah, I guess there's no better way to to change attitudes and perspectives unless experiencing or living through things. And LARPs provide you exactly that, a very close to real life experience of a situation. What projects have you done using LARPs in the youth work field in cooperation with the Erasmus Plus program or the European Solidarity Corps program? Can you tell me a bit about that? So the first was Gimle LARP, which is also uh, connected to the Erasmus Plus project, but I'm not managing this, I'm just a partner. And what we do specifically is, as Nausicaa Foundation, uh, is LARP for Climate project that started a few months ago. And uh, we want to uh, use this impact pot or transformative potential of, of the LARP to, uh, to, to create some attitudes uh, for the uh, climate protection or climate awareness. So we, we connect the, this gamistic uh, stuff that we do in the games with climate education in general, which is also like uh, outside LARP is the main focus uh, of the Nausicaa. How are you guys planning it? LARP for Climate is a strategic partnership, Erasmus Plus, and it is actually the last uh, Erasmus Plus uh, partnership that goes for these intellectual outputs, which are structured with the timesheets and, and working hours, because in the, in the, it was just on the next deadline, all the structure of the Erasmus framework was changed. And now it's different. I don't know for better or worse, uh, but we are doing this in this classical uh, strategic partnership way that each partner, we have four partners, and this is Poland, Estonia, Norway, and Greece. And each partner is developing uh, and designing a large scenario for climate education during the first year. Uh, testing it locally and later uh, we have four organizations and four LARPs and each LARP is played as a big event in each of the countries which gives 16 events, multiplier events in total. Uh, so that's for the second year of project, it starts uh, 2023 and um, but we do not want to close on this. That does, we want uh, to make it bigger than just, you know, 16 events. We actually want uh, people to play the scenarios uh, in other countries by other organizations. Uh, so we want to make it, you know, uh, how to call it? We call it teacher proof. Sorry if that's not uh, appropriate. Uh, but, you know, a very easy step by step instruction how to do a LARP. If you're not a LARPer, if you're not in the LARP fandom or community, how can you use it for your projects or education? Because I guess it's a perfect tool for, 
you know, your own youth exchanges or for some regular events of the youth centers in different cities. And uh, once you get through the instruction, you actually get, uh, get an event uh, which uh, can uh, can have a big impact on the participants. Also looks good on photos, has you know sort of emotional impact and feedback from them. And if you design it well, it's not that costly because the LARPs can uh, also vary uh, budget-wise very much. There is no upper limit. You know, people play in castles. That they rent castles, uh, but uh, we want to make them replayable and easy to use by the others. And uh, this project is just starting, but we already have a, a follow-up plan. Uh, we want to make it bigger. Uh, we are applying for a bigger a strategic partnership, including many more countries, uh, end of this year or start of the next year, uh, using you know the few, let's say, testing or testing, uh, checking the ground scenarios that we are doing now, as a, like uh, showing that this is possible and bringing more agents uh, to this. We actually, this is a project in which we want to do this on like full European level. So, 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 so there will be a bigger LARP for climate partnership. Of course, I cannot uh, name it LARP for climate then, uh, although we will use the media or the fan page of LARP for climate. But I guess the next project we will call Experience the Catastrophe. And in this project, you said you will be developing several scenarios. How would you say what is the process of designing a LARP? What are the main steps? Uh, so there are two ways. You can start from the head or from the tail. Uh, when we write a methodology book, uh, we always write that you should start from the head, which means that you design the educational goals and uh, choose the kind of experience that you want the players to go through and uh, design, you know, write down particular uh, you know impact that is expected and in a way measurable on the participants and then you choose the uh, choose everything about the LARP design according to the principle that you have started with so if we want uh, if we want let's say do something simple to to to, to make people uh, waste less water we will, we will then think what to do. Should we play uh, at, you know, how should we design the setting, the location, the story of this narrative game? Should it be happening in real times or in some sci-fi or on the moon when, where water is very scarce? Or do we go to medieval times uh, because it's somehow better for the people? Or there is some sorcery possible in the fictional world, which actually can be water magic uh, and can boost the imagination of the players. Um, so we design what, you know, in what world, what kind of fictional world we are playing, what kind of players, what is their agency, what is their objectives. Uh, we should design it actually according to the, you know, precise impact that we have in mind. So this is the way from the, from the head. But uh, as reality happens, uh, you know, we go for a walk or spend evening with friends. And then where there is like a very, very simple idea, with Patricia from Nausicaa, we want to design a LARP when you have balloons, flying balloons on the that fly up uh, to the to the roof, and you have uh, little strings on them, and inside each balloon there is a message. 
or some kind of quest or some kind of riddle to solve. And during like uh, some particular, uh, due to some actions that people do in the game, they can drag the balloons down, open it, and then the story develops. And we just, you know, and this looks cool for us because there was a a simple TV show back in the 90s in Poland when some musical competitions, when people were, you know, drawing and random some uh, some quests from, from the balloons. And we just see that it's going to be super fun if we play it. Uh, and then uh, if we have this balloon idea, uh, we may, uh, you know, we will add some story so that it's about the climate or not about the climate, about something. Uh, so this is the way from the tale. Like we have, we, we have something that should be designed actually, and the last, uh, and the last moment. Um, but sometimes we just have an idea. I want to make a game about it. So this is actually how uh, how it happens often. I know many LARPers and LARP designers who are not educators, or actually officially they do not work in education, and they work somewhere completely else, and they just do this for fun as their hobby. And they have no dilemma about it. They will uh, surely go for the balloon idea and make a fun game for their friends. Uh, for us, it's once this way, once that way. Uh, we try to combine it somehow. So, 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 so for sure, we don't want the balloon to take over all the other ideas. So if the balloon doesn't work for the climate education, we will do the balloon LARP anyway and create something else for the LARP for Climate project. But that's that's how it goes. You know, you have the very general uh, framework and very precise details. And it's kind of like this hermeneutic spiral that you go from the general to particular and vice versa. And you go around as long as it's uh, until it gets a shape. It's also very important to test a game. So, 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 so uh, test a game before it's ready and see how the players react it. Because other, uh, otherwise, you cannot just finish a scenario on paper and publish it uh, and give it to the others. How to make a LARP like deep enough for people to, yeah, change and shift attitudes? How do you make sure that? your games and your scenarios are not on this shallow level. So there is a, there are two methods for this. And there is a, an um, honest method and surprise method. Uh, honest method is to uh, tell them from the start that this is uh, educational LARP. Uh, when we want to focus, you know, design this kind of emotions of interactions and actually it aims at you know changing people or just you know it's allowing space for some uh, you know personal transformation and then if you write it clearly you also manage the expectations of the players and if you you explain that you sign for the event because that's uh, what you want to try of course you cannot force people to change any attitudes uh, what you can do is design the environment of the game where they can do this if they want. Uh, also, the, the, uh, another thing is safety mechanics. If you have a lot of mechanics for emotional and psychological safety, it means that people can risk more emotions during the game. Because if something happens, they know how to withdraw. Uh, so we can create a game which gives people uh, players a chance 
to transform. We cannot uh, design a game which you know makes guarantees that they will do this. Uh, but there is another method. There is the surprise method in which you try to uh, hide this edu prefix uh, from the word LARP, and you wrap it in a very fantastic story in which it's like purely for fun. And there is a twist inside the game that's actually you want, you know, to, to, to for example, make some problems or con raise some conflicts between the players. So later they will, you know, after the game, you will talk with them how this uh, problem emerged, what was the triggering point, how did they solve it or not solve it and why if not and so on. And you use the surprise experience from the players. Uh, this is possible, this is very risky and this is not professional, but it's sometimes fun. So uh, you can still use both methods. And then you also mentioned safety of, of players and different safety mechanisms. So how do you keep and you manage safety and this, this feeling of, feeling totally okay to take up a new role and sometimes open up real emotions and not the most pleasant ones. So few points. First point is uh, workshops. Uh, when we do a, a LARP uh, event, and no matter if it's like few days or few hours, I guess less than half of the time of the event should be the actual game in which people are uh, playing the fictional characters, more than a half should be workshops before and after. And in the workshops, uh, it's like a more modern approach to the LARP. You know, it's still this zone is very, very fast evolving. And the, the mechanics from 10 years ago are all, all already uh, seen very old. Uh, but so um, in a modern approach, uh, it is said, and we also like it to do this as Nausicaa, to workshop those characters. For example, uh, I was doing a family dinner LARP when people were playing members of a standard middle European uh, family at a dinner at their grandpa's house. Uh, so instead of writing their characters and telling them what kind of personality should you play, I arranged a few uh, flashback scenes. So divided them into groups in which they, let's say, you met one week before uh, the story of the game. And uh, the, I give them one sentence of what happened and they have to act it out. So when they uh, have some acting workshops before the game, they already, you know, then they break the ice and the ice is already broken and they are warmed up. If you take people from the street and tell them we are starting playing in 15 minutes, please prepare, that's not enough. So, so, so there should be acting workshops. They can be like precisely de designed uh, flashback uh, scenes or uh, they can, uh, it can be just standard, uh, you know, acting, just walk around the room, shout, play an animal, whatever. Uh, you have a lot of this like as energizers at youth exchanges. This also works pretty well uh, before the LARP so they can shout, they can, you know, see uh, and also build some trust between themselves before they start the game. So the first point was about workshops. The second point is safety words. This is a popular mechanic, now, 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 now present in most of the LARP that you will see. Uh, safety words, the simplest example is three colors, red, yellow, and green. 
So anytime a player uses one safety word, says yell, uh, yellow, red, or green, uh, it's not that the character says it. This is a metagame mechanic, and they can calibrate uh, the emotional level of the game. For example, if they are uh, arguing uh, with each other or that there was some back scene of that somebody betrayed the other person in the game and you know the, they are talking you know emotions happen and when emotions happen uh, if any of them tells uh, green it means come up, come up, let, make it stronger. I want to play it out. I want to go deeper into this. But if anyone says red, this means that we stop it, that we do whatever, like a phone rang, so the conversation is over and we do not go back to this topic. And red is also this words must be explained clearly to the players. If you say red as a player, uh, you do not need to explain it. You do not need to say sorry that I broke the game or changed the topic. You say red and no questions asked. That's that a metagame mechanic. Uh, and the yellow means that uh, it's okay for me. We can, let's say, argue and make some excuses to each other, but let's not touch each other. Like there's no, rather no physical violence in the lab, but you can, for example, touch somebody or show that you're hurt. Yellow means this is the maximum level that I can handle. And no players can escalate the emotions uh, stronger if anyone said yellow. Also, as with the red, you do not need to excuse yourself. If you have these words, then you can actually make you know fictional problems with other characters because you know that if they feel uncomfortable as players they will say red or yellow and if they don't it means that you can actually go on with the story without these words people would not trust it and be like more resentful to you know to risk any any harm to the players so uh, there was workshops safety words and the last Uh, off-game zone. Uh, anytime we play a, a game in a fictional world, it is in some kind of, you know, we players are in a physical space somewhere. It can be a conference room, it can be a forest, it can be somebody's house, it can be a black box theater scene, but we must clearly say where is the game zone, where the fictional story happens, and where is the off-game zone. If you have... Um, if you have an apartment that consists only of uh, one room and a kitchen, you cannot play in all of it. You cannot make the whole territory of it the in-game zone because there is no safety zone where players who said, I want a break, just to, just to you know, catch a breath, and they don't have anywhere to go. So for in that example, you would do the safety zone in the kitchen and say that the playing is here is only in the room. And when anybody goes out to the kitchen, this is off-game zone. And it's also important to tell the players that they can go to the off-game zone anytime they want, and there is no judging about it, and there should be an additional organizer you, you know, this comfort guy uh, who, who tells them, it's okay, do you want some tea? Do you want some water? Uh, it should be comfortable uh, and nice for them to spend some time in the off-game zone. Like in small LARP, it's still important. In the big LARPs, like those 
200 people in the forest. It needs actually to be a, a big infrastructure with tents, some hammocks, uh, and maybe some cooking and food so they can go uh, off the game and relax for how long they want. And they also know that when they go off, they switch from characters to players. So they do... You cannot actually talk as your characters outside the, the territory of the game. So there, there are a few others, but these are the main safety mechanics. And once this is done, and the, I, I, uh, my experience is that the players feel safer and actually can risk, you know, trying more emotional or transformative, you know, situations in the game. Does it often happen that people have trouble getting out of the role? And how do you help them? Or how do you manage the debriefing when people are still calling each other character names or trying to at least? Oh, that, 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 that's a complicated question. Uh, you need to have a few trainers and facilitators to do this, especially when you do this officially as an educational event. And you must facilitate the rolling first and the briefing later. Uh, the rolling can be a ritual if, of shaking off the roles and getting back into the characters. You can, for example, bring the, all the 30 or whatever players around the fire and in a circle, each of them is, you know, shaking hands, saying goodbye to my fictional name uh, and, uh, and then hello to my real name. And then it's important that everybody does it actually. And it, uh, my experience is that people, you know, in this moment, they know how to switch from the uh, from the uh, character to uh, to their player self it's important to tell them when this happens and um, but still it needs the briefing so and the briefing be still before you go to more like abstract discussion about what was the larp about what have you learned you can go with simple questions let's make another circle and ask the players what would you like uh, to leave like what character traits would you like to leave but and what you would like to pick up and carry with you from your character. For example, my character was actually a brave person who, who was not scared to tell the truth in the game. And I, I actually tried it. It was fun. I would like to take it with me. Or my character was like a deceitful, sneaky bastard. And uh, I don't want to behave like this as my real safe. Uh, so, so, so make another round. Uh, and it's worth spending a lot of time. That's actually when this learning process, you know, continues. Because the game itself is just, you know, a starting point that we have the emotions and then we work on it. If you have many players, you split them into groups. Um, so you need more facilitators for that, uh, and you ask them structured questions. It can, it can, it can last for a few hours. This is also for, for me what is lacking in uh, non-educational LARPs or like private events that you know. Usually the game is delayed because of some costume problems and setting problems. And then we start later and then it's already midnight when we stop the game, everybody's tired. So, okay, the game is over and we go home or, or somewhere uh, uh, to, out to the town. But uh, then the, the, this moment is lacking and people, you know, so, so it's like you were watching a movie and they cut it in the in the middle and you, didn't, you want to see what's happening. So, 
so, so you want to talk about this character. And then also important when, when you facilitate a discussion to remind the players that to talk about the characters in third person perspective. So when I was uh, playing Pharaoh, the board game Thief uh, in a Gimle LARP, uh, then I said that I would actually, Pharaoh was, uh, Pharaoh was actually very resourceful and was not scared to, to you know, uh, to make some business while, while doing his game, uh, you know, stealing these games uh, in, in the Gimle LARP. Uh, but I say Pharaoh, not Zbyszek then. People tend to say, I was, or I had this conversation with you. Remind them to go into third person perspective. Also make, uh, you know, an open 10 minutes when they can approach each other and uh, explain, you know, approach the person with, with whom you had the strongest emotional relations and talk about it. Because we saw at the youth exchange that people actually like or dislike someone because of what happened in the game. So, 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 so tell them that this is happening, remind them a few times that uh, what happened in the game between your characters is not, you know, a personal relation because between uh, you as the players. Uh, so this is, you know, tricky because you, you have to remind it a few times and you have to pay much attention for it. But that's, you know, the, the other side of the coin that uh, we actually want it to be emotional and want people to open. Uh, so, so, but we still have to be very careful why, uh, while we are using it. What kind of impact have you seen or uh, observed in the participants? after LARPs. Is there any specific one that stands in your memory? I would mention a little girl uh, who, who became a mage in a fantasy LARP and was actually using magic to, to protect her village from the orcs because there were orcs attacking the village in the night. And, uh, you know, a little girl saying a magic word and the orcs are, you know, are, are, you know playing that they are scared or they are burning or whatever, they, that they are running away. And she actually told that I never tried it in my life. You know, to, to say that, you know, I don't want, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't want this or that. I don't want, you know, to go. I don't want to go out. I don't want to play. I want to read a book and uh, whatever, like express her, uh, you know, emotions clearly. Uh, and then she got empowered because she could try it in the game. Uh, in Berlin, when we were doing an Edinu post Apolar, we also had uh, another friend, also a girl. Um, was she was playing a queen uh, during the game, and it lasted for two days. And we saw that after the game, she was, you know, standing straight, uh, looking up, the, you know, the, her head up, her voice louder, more confident. And when she came to the whole, you know, youth exchange, she was very like shy and quiet, and her head down. Uh, you you can see you can see differences by the uh, by the way people sit or talk or stand after the game. Right, and then looking back to these years of using LARPs for education, what would you say is the most important thing that you learned in this process? Well, 
well, as the organizer, I learned this, uh, I think this manage expectations thing. And uh, that, that, that uh, how to invite the people, how to tell them clearly what they are gonna play, what, what they are about to expect, and actually uh, getting them in, how to pass them information about uh, what, what's gonna happen in the game. Uh, I learned this as an organizer, uh, and it's it's easy to say, but actually, when you have uh, when you're creating a one or two page PDF with a game description, and you have you know a lot of stories in your head because you're the game designer, but you need to have a very sh a short message to the players so they actually you know expect something similar that will happen to them during the game. And I learned how tricky it is to write a one-page description of the game, so, 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 so the players, also especially not experienced LARPers, uh, how to create expectations for them so they come ready and satisfied. And I learned that the success of the LARP is hugely dependent on this. Not about how expensive or fancy costumes you buy, or what is the setting, or do you actually have a castle or not, but uh, about how you how you inform the players and what is their mental process, because each of them use you now also to make uh, each of the player a central character of the game. Uh, they are not, uh, everyone is, you know, the hero in their journey when they enter the LARP and they experience like their uh, objectives and their relations as the most important of the whole story. Uh, you can still do this and, uh, and manage these expectations and lead and design their experience. So it's not only about designing the game that looks cool on paper or, or on photos, but design the experience uh, so, so the expectations meet the, the experience. That's what I learned. Transfer service. And in this part of the podcast, uh, we invite our guests to share some tips for anyone who would like to also try and maybe uh, use a similar approach in youth work. So if somebody is listening now and wants to make a LARP or use one in an international project, what would be their first steps? Use the existing games. Don't create games. It's cool to design a game, but there are many games, uh, LARP, open source LARP scenarios already available to implement on the project. So use the ready and tested games. If they are popular, it means they have been played and tested a few times and they're probably working. Uh, if they uh, use shorter games, not longer, go for three hour, not three day long uh, events and try uh, what is out there. Uh, reach the LARP community in your country. Most of the countries in Europe have a Facebook group, for example, LARP Poland or LARP Slovenia or LARP Sweden. Um, and ask the people. They, uh, they, it's for most of the LARPers, it's their hobby, not their work. If they design a game, they would love to share it, to talk, to meet online and, and explain some details about how to organize it. I guess it's, uh, it's also possible to uh, invite 
game designers, the authors, to, to facilitate the game. You know, they have players. There are so many LARP games that were created. It took many days to create a game and then played once. Uh, so if the game is played for a second time, you give a lot of positive emotions and satisfaction to the author and the author can actually come to your event because it's, you know, uh, satisfying for them. So I would reach out to existing games and actually to the, to, to, to the real community of the LARPers who can uh, contribute. If there is more of them, some of them will have time and actually would like to join you. And then what, what challenges and pitfalls to be aware of? still when implementing LARPs or preparing to one? When you're designing a game, it's a very like your personal and creative process. So you want to do a lot. You have a lot of ideas. Uh, you Sometimes you want to write a lot. Uh, don't write a lot. Write uh, very short messages and, and descriptions of the game. Do not write a book about uh, the world of your LARP, uh, make it very short and make it readable for the players and trust the players. If you, uh, if you say that uh, your character is a blacksmith who is not talking much, but is a, 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 has a very strong will and uh, is not scared about uh, getting into problems. That can be enough of a description of the character. You do not have to tell them when they were born, how old they are, and create long stories. Make it short and trust the players that they will add the rest to it and make it their own characters. Also, do not make uh, too many decisions for them. Leave them a space for their imagination. I know this is also easy to say, uh, when I started designing LARPs, I went with long texts and then I was surprised that people didn't read it or even if they read it, they do not remember all of it. Uh, it, it should be so, uh, short. So once, ag uh, once again, we go back into the idea of experience design, uh, not only the game design. The game can be very simple and still the, the experience can be designed very well. Coming to an end of uh, the episode, I'm very curious to know, what is your plan in the youth work field for the near future? You said you're working on additional scenarios, you are planning already follow-up. What else? I would like young people to organize LARPs and, uh, and other narrative games for themselves like in their school, in their summer camps, uh, in their free time, uh, maybe especially in their schools, because that's technically possible. So I would like to do uh, them to do it themselves. Not that, you know, I come as a teacher or a, a guy from an NGO who will take over uh, one or two classes from a teacher in the school, but they actually want to do this. Uh, so, so, so that's my dream, that this is happening, and uh, I'm just helping them or giving them materials. Most of the young people, especially like students or high school students, uh, they say, you know, that the school is boring. So I do not need to explain them, hey, you're going to school, but this is, but it's boring, isn't it? They know it already. So, 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 so I think I have, I have a head up here. What is your wish for the future 
of youth work? In one sentence, uh, that uh, adults stop teaching uh, youth and start learning from youth. It has been exciting to share a conversation with someone so passionate about the work they do, and I am sure you are taking insights and inspiration from this episode. My key takeaways are about managing safety and expectations of players and the dilemma of being honest or turning to use a surprise moment to transform people's attitudes. Gems of Youth Work is funded by the Erasmus Plus program of the European Commission with the support of the Estonian National Agency, 